Hi, I'm Tom. I'm Will. I'm Sada. I'm Molly. Hi, Need to Know is, as Christmas is only a few weeks away, we have a fun, festive food filled 20 minutes ahead for you. I'll be cooking Christmas leftover pie. I want all to ask, what do you do with your Christmas leftovers? And food in the news, we cover the headlines. I will travel back in time to give a little insight on the history of the Christmas dinner. I will be making a no-bake Oreo cheesecake. I've done little bits and pieces, but I don't really know what I'm doing, and I'd quite like to do a bit more with my kids. Dad of two, Rob Wardell there, who is visiting my kitchen to find out how he can make his Christmas leftovers into a pie. You know how these ovens work, 180 please, get that preheated. Smells like Christmas. We've got some chicken, because you couldn't get a hold of turkey, but it would be normally turkey. You would probably also put sausages in there, your bacon, all your bits and bobs. All the eggs. Yeah, the good bits. Got some stuff in, got some veg, managed to find sprouts. And we've got some mashed potatoes over there as well. It's looking good. Be good. And an array of stuff that I don't know what to do with. So what are you fussing, Otis? Otis, by the way, he sounds like a Rottweiler, but he is a little black Labrador. Yeah, if you just don't mind telling us why you want to learn to make pies. We made bread last week, didn't we? We made bread. That was my first endeavour in the, in the baking world. And I think a pie's, pie's my next step. Cool. Right. Christmas pie especially. Right, so to start our pie, we need a good pastry. and uh, We've got to make a wholemeal pastry for this one. Okay. So we have 400 grams of um, brown wholemeal flour, yeah. uh, 200 grams of butter. Now, there's two ways you can make pastry. You can either do the fingers method, so yeah. you rub the butter into the flour until you've got like um, a sort of like texture, a bit like sand. Right. Uh, but in the interest of being quick, and this evening we're going to use the method where you get your stand mixer and you put it all into your bowl and there's an attachment which is like a metal sort of, what would you call it? Like a triangle. Like a metal triangle. So we're just going to put that on to speed two on the stand mixer and just add a little bit of water as well just until we've got a nice pastry texture. So Rob, if you could roll out that pastry for me, just to uh, sort of to this roughly the size of the pie tin, and uh, how thin are we going? Just about roughly the thickness of a pound coin would be perfect, please, mate. So to make sure our pie doesn't get soggy at the bottom, we have blind baked it a little bit with a with an egg wash on it to make a membrane. So yep. we're ready to ready to fill it now. So do you want to maybe start with the mashed potatoes and layer it up? Can do. The chicken goes on, and then the stuffing's on last. For days. So now we're just ready if you could uh, get that lid of the pie that you rolled out before and you cut a hole in the top okay. for us and that's to, to let the steam out. Okay, so just basically so your pie doesn't burst. Right, happy days. Pie's ready to go in now, bud, if you want to do the honours. Happy days, mate. Yeah, it looks like Christmas, doesn't it? Get it in there. And we'll come back to Rob later on to find out how he got on with his recipe. I have been asked the people what do they do with their Christmas leftovers. And I just leave them. Eat them. So you don't throw it away. If there's bits of turkey left and vegetables, make soup. Make a buffet for the next day. So it all goes back out and then my family, half my family come round and we, we eat the rest then. Now they pass it out to the community, they're homeless in the community. Um, there's a food bank near us, so I just pass it on to them. I usually just like use them for sandwiches and stuff, I guess. Um, usually you either make them into sandwiches or soup or curries. There's very little that gets left over. It's food in the news. Food in the news. 
we've sifted through all the rubbish and got to the important stuff, which is all this week's headlines about food. So, Sadaf, you've been reading The Independent. Yeah, so uh, food myths busted. They say an apple a day keeps the doctor away, and it's actually been put to the test. Researchers investigated whether people who reported eating apples daily actually had fewer annual doctor visits. And they found that apple eaters were a bit less likely to require prescription medications compared to non-apple eaters. And that led to a researcher joke that an apple a day keeps the farm sister away. Obviously, this proverb shouldn't be taken literally, but the overall sentiment is true. Eating vegetables and fruits daily does have health benefits. It's a shame, isn't it, that it's not a biscuit a day, but, you know, never mind. Maybe you could do some research yeah. into that. Yeah, that would definitely try. That's a, that's a future episode <laughs> for you. find something out. Um, carrots are good for your eyes. So I'm sure we've heard this one quite yeah, a lot we'll definitely from all parents this before. as well. So... This narrative traces back to the Second World War and um, in 1940s and the Air Force pilots began using radars to shoot down enemy planes in the dark and to keep this new technology a secret. Ministry of Information's propaganda was that the pilots had great visual accuracy because they ate carrots, which improved their night vision. Um, Turkey makes you tired. We've all heard this one after yeah. Christmas dinner. Christmas dinner, definitely. Um, so is is that what's doing it when we're watching television and it's falling the, asleep? Is it the turkey? The turkey made you fall asleep. <laughs> so I, have, I haven't eaten turkey, but I'm really interested in the test of turkey. <laughs> turkey contains an amino acid known as tryptophan, which the body uses to generate serotonin, which helps promote sleep. So then there must be something to this whole turkey sleep connection, right? Not so fast. Turkey contains no more tryptophan than beef, eggs, fish or chicken. And tryptophan has a hard time getting past the blood-brain barrier. So it's not an effective sleep inducer on its own. But the effect of tryptophan increases when insulin levels are high and that happens after you eat a carb-rich meal. So it's actually the carbs that increase the serotonin levels which help with the production of the hormone melatonin which makes you sleepy. So it's the carbs than the turkey. Uh, Molly, you've got some news about a uh, supermarket. Yeah, the news is about uh, Morrison Supermarket. Morrison Supermarket has announced it will be the first in the UK to sell goods beyond their best before date, with items worth £10 available for purchase at £3.9. Working in collaborations with the Food West app, too good to go. Customers will be able to purchase items as part of a new discount box scheme. Following a successful trial, vegetables, fruit, bakery, and delicacies items will be all available for sale as part of the new segment in all 494 branches nationwide from Tuesday. I really uh, agree. It it will be a good choice for me to save money because the food is still can be eat. Yeah, absolutely. I mean. £10 of food for £3 yeah. seems like a, a pretty good deal to me, even if the best before date's gone. It's not something that's ever bothered me. What about you, Sidoff? No, I, I think that's a, it's a good idea. It's about it's trying to save food and cut down on food wastage, similar to the wonky vegetable boxes as well. I'm sure that's, a, that's yeah. in a box, isn't it? So it's if anything to do with trying to cut down food waste is a good thing. But again, some people might not like the idea of eating after the best before date. I was going to say, Will, you're shaking your head at me there. What have you got to say? I mean, in principle, I'm right behind the idea, but I don't know if it's the way I've been brought up, but anything past its best before date, I just think get it right in the bin, get it straight in the bin. But uh, obviously there's some foods that I think will be all right after after their best before date. So 
maybe I'll, I'll try this new scheme. You, I think Will, you should give it a go. Like, try something. <laughs> we should bring something in for him to try. Maybe, maybe we'll have a future bake. Um, <laughs> food pass before the best before and see if we can come up with a cake. Uh, <laughs> speaking of the price of food, Will, you've got something from the BBC? Yes, yeah, so this is a report on how the prices for our Christmas dinner, which is something I'll come back to a bit later, uh, this year is likely to make a bigger dent in our wallets. That's because supply issues have pushed up the prices this year. Seems that fewer turkeys have been hatched this year because of the summer temperatures, the high summer temperatures. To be honest, I didn't really notice them. But that's uh, reduced, apparently reduced the number of eggs. So that will, in turn, mean that our turkeys will cost more this year. In addition to that, the wet weather and floods have also hit supplies of veg, such as Brussels sprouts and potatoes. The risk is that supermarkets could pass on the higher cost to us, the consumers, which, you know, may make people a bit more frugal this Christmas if they're if everything's costing a bit more. The report says in the past 12 months alone, food and drink prices have gone up by 6.77%, which as one figure may not seem like too much, but obviously if you spread that across all the food, all the drink you'd buy uh, over the Christmas period, then that, that's definitely going to add up, I think. Yeah, absolutely, and also as well, it's uh, one of the first real instances we've seen of global warming affecting our Christmas yeah. dinner as well, so I think that's probably going to kick a few more people into action isn't it yeah absolutely i think that will just carry on increasing over the years as well i might have to buy a out-of-date turkey this year (laughs) (laughs) it's a really simple recipe and i've made it many times before it's really quick you don't even need an oven you just mix everything together put your base down your filling decorate it and then just whack it in the fridge so today i'm making an oreo cheesecake So what you will need is 140 grams of unsalted butter, 300 grams of digestive biscuits, 500 grams of cream cheese, softened, 85 grams of icing sugar, 300 milliliters of double cream, and two packets of Oreos. So first, what I'm gonna do is put the digestive biscuits into a food bag and crush them. So once that's done, what I'm going to do is put that aside and I'm going to melt butter in a pan. Mix the butter and let it melt on low heat as well. I don't want it to burn and I don't want it too high or hot. Right, so that's all the butter melted. Now I'm going to put my biscuits into a bowl and then I'm going to pour in the melted butter and I'm going to mix that. I'm going to put that into a a cake tray, pour that in and flatten it down and then I'm going to put that into the fridge for it to set. Once I've done that, I'm going to get my double cream and pour that into a bowl and mix it until it goes thick. I'm going to whip the cream until it it becomes thick and it sticks to the whisk. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to, in a separate bowl, put in the cream cheese and then mix that and then mix the powdered sugar and the cream cheese together. In another uh, food bag, I'm going to put in the Oreos and crush them. I've left about 
four to five Oreos and I've put in the rest of the Oreos in the bag, which I'm going to crush. Now I'm going to take the cream cheese and put that into the whipped cream. Now I'm going to put in the crushed Oreos into the mixture. I'm going to take the biscuit uh, base out of the fridge. Pour the mixture into the tin over the biscuit base. Just decorate the top of the cheesecake with oil. So that's done. I'll put that into the fridge and leave that in overnight. In the morning, take that out of the tin. That's how you make an Oreo cheesecake. So I made an Oreo cheesecake yesterday and I bought it in for a taste test for everyone to try. And was it easy to make? Yeah, I've made it a few times before. Cool, so would you say if someone was doing this, like a family coming around and between Christmas and New Year, that kind of thing, they'd be... Yeah, yeah it, it's really up. quick and it's really easy. I think that's why I chose to make it and I make it quite a lot as well. Cool, let's dive in. Yes. So while Will's talking into that, do you want to tell us what's in it? Um, it's got um, cream cheese, double cream. Um, the biscuit base was... I didn't go for an Oreo biscuit base, I went for a digestive biscuit base. The filling has the Oreo in it. Um, but yeah. Why do you think that's amazing, isn't it? That's really nice, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Really, really biscuity. Yeah, really definitely. Nice, yeah. It's got a lot of biscuits <laughs> in it. That is really, really it's nice. sweet. I put powdered sugar in the mixture. So in the filling, there was double cream, powdered sugar to add the sweetness, and cream cheese. Nice, so and it's like to thicken it up and get the texture, yeah. that kind of thing. And then to decorate, just whack some Oreos just in. Just Oreos. Up. There was like two packets, and I'd left a few just to decorate on top. But some people go for an Oreo base. They crush the Oreos and use that as a base. But I wanted to go for a digestive biscuit base. I like the difference the digestive make as well, because yeah. then you've got Oreos and the digestive mm. Because as well. you don't want yeah. too much Oreos. Like, you don't want Oreo base and Oreo in the filling, so yeah. that's why I went yeah. for a digestive. And what do you think, Molly? Are you happy with it? Yeah, I like sweet food. Cool, so uh, thumbs up all around then by the looks of it. Definitely, absolutely. Uh, yeah, as we mentioned before about the price of Christmas dinner going up, um, when I saw that story, it got me thinking, and... I want to look a bit more into the history of the Christmas dinner, so this is my research and what I came up with. Ah, the 25th of December, Christmas Day. Although an event celebrated the world over, is there any day of the year so associated with our British Isles? William the Conqueror was crowned on Christmas Day in 1066, Isaac Newton was born in 1642, and Charlie Chaplin died in 1977. Perhaps not such a good day for poor Charlie. Provided you're not a grieving member of the Chaplin family, then you, like me, will love settling down for a Christmas feast on the 25th of December. But where does our good old-fashioned King of the Roast Christmas dinner come from? First, to the turkey, the succulent centrepiece of our festive feast. You might be surprised to learn that our whistling friend is a fairly new addition to our tables at Christmas. Back in medieval England, when kings ruled the land, castles shaped our landscape, 
and dysentery was rife, our ancestors would often sit down not to a plate of turkey, but to feast on the carcass of, in my opinion, the mightiest of all the pigs, a boar. I tell you what, the only boar this Christmas will be my Uncle Terry. Will he ever pipe down about Brexit? As our island nation moved through the 16th and 17th centuries, most of our Tudor and Jacobean ancestors would often dine on a plump goose or a peacock on Christmas Day, while Henry VIII and his rich buddies were the first to adopt our beloved turkey as their yuletide pride and joy. Turkey became increasingly popular throughout the centuries, with its only competition being our old friend, the goose. At the turn of the 20th century, goose clubs were fairly common throughout the UK. And I know what you're thinking, these weren't places where geese would get leathered on a Saturday night, rave to some gander trance and get picked up by a handsome swan. It was in fact a scheme which allowed working class families to save up all year and take home a feathery friend at Christmas. No, not as a pet, but so they could pluck skin, cook and then eat it. Although still a popular choice in the Victorian era, the goose was finally defeated as the Christmas showpiece with our beloved turkey rising above all competition to be crowned the nation's favourite. Many people's favourite part of Christmas dinner isn't actually the winged beast in the oven, but the garnish, vegetables and other additions which combine to make Christmas dinner what it is. I'm talking stuffing, I'm talking roast potatoes, I'm talking parsnips and I'm most certainly talking the glorious pig in blanket. Perhaps the most controversial of all the festive extras are the dreaded sprouts, and with Brexit still in full flow, I can guarantee there'll be more than one Brussels being argued about this Christmas. <laughs> that genius piece of political satire brings us to the true history, present and future of Christmas dinner. It's about togetherness. It's about saying you like turkey and you like goose, but we can get on. It's about knowing that my cousin Paul has had more than his fair share of roast potatoes, but it's okay, he's a growing lad. It's about saying that no matter if we see each other, know each other, or even like each other, when you're having Christmas dinner around this table, we are family. And finally, to bring this festive, fun-filled episode to an end, we're going to go back to Rob and find out how he's getting on with his Christmas leftover pie. Pie's been in for about an hour and a quarter now. It's starting to smell really good. I it's think we're working all right, isn't it? I think we're done, aren't we? Should we get it out? Should we get it out? That looks incredible. Gonna taste this pie. We've got some gravy made up for it. I can't, can't wait. wait. I can't wait. Can't wait. Can't wait. We can get that one wrapped. It's looking alright. Put Stuck into that, mate. Let me know what you think. God, it's, it's held together well, isn't it? Yeah, it's really well. Yeah, you can see the layers in that as yeah, well. No, yeah, it looks alright. Okay, I'm happy with this. Let's get some gravy on here. Need to Know was presented, written, and researched by Tom, Will, Molly, and Sadaf. And music in this week's episode was by D. Yankee, taken from the freemusicarchive.org. I need to know his intro music was performed by The Gecko. And if you'd like to see what we've baked this week, please visit Twitter at Ayub underscore Sadaf 
or Instagram at T underscore WMCC.